Welcome to episode 12 of the 18th Shadow Radio. This is your author and narrator, John Lee Grafton. The 18th Shadow, Phase 2, Voices in the Stream, Chapter 2.1, Orientation. Enid, Oklahoma, 2062, 20 years before event. The rabbit appeared at last. It took a few hops outside the burrow and then froze, testing the wind. Its whiskers twisted and danced. The peal of a hunting dog. The shadow of a hawk. A cat waiting to pounce. The boy stayed still. The dreaming man had told him, Hunting is 99% patience, 1% gunfire. The boy had been waiting so long he was afraid to breathe. In the past, he had moved too quickly, and the startled animal would vanish like a wisp of mist into the safety of the woods behind the house. This time, there were no mistakes. Slow and heedful, the boy raised the machine barrel of his rifle and rested it on the deck railing. The twenty-two caliber Ruger's oak stock felt reassuring in his hands. The wood smelled of polish. The black metal smelled of rubbed oil and smoke. His mother had given him the rifle when he was eight. Two years on, he could shoot a drone skeet from the sky every time with a single bullet. But shooting a drone wasn't the same as shooting something with a heart. A good hunter never forgets his first kill. The boy despised this hair. He wanted to feel its soft, sallow body in his hands. The anger sickened him. His father would probably take its fur and sew it into the collar of one of his fancy white leather jackets. The rabbit began nibbling on a small patch of clover in a glade at the edge of the trees. It was farther away than the boy would have liked, too distant for the cracked glass scope the rifle would come with, at least in this wind. But he had trudged door to door selling holozine subscriptions all summer for a reason. The new Zeiss Paladin GK7 HUD scope was it. He drew the bioadaptive polymer eyepiece close and peered through. The tech made hunting almost unfair. Yet, like many things come and gone in life, the experience of shooting an actual animal would be good. His parents were busy arguing in the house. It was time. More information than he could possibly need filled the scope's holographic viewfinder. Wind speed 14.9 kilometers per hour north by northwest. Temperature 28.3 degrees Celsius. Humidity, 67.7%. Distance to target, 161.8 meters. He carefully turned a silver dial on the side of the scope with his finger. The digital image magnified. The small rabbit looked almost white, with the wind blowing its brown fur backwards, revealing the soft down beneath. The animal's large, twitchy eyes were the color of walnuts. The boy zoomed out. A 2.5-dimensional holographic rendering of the rabbit's entire body now filled the viewfinder. He took a deep breath. The digital crosshairs turned green, indicating a fatal target lock. The rabbit hopped forward unexpectedly as the boy pulled the trigger. Eye through the scope, he watched in awe as the animal's body spun violently. Its back leg dangled, almost ripped free from the hip. Damn, hollow points next time. Out the cheap old lead rounds from the garage. The boy knew better. After a few seconds, the screaming began. A flock of sparrows took wing at the fright of the wounded hare. The boy looked up from the hud, flushed with sudden guilt. There was nothing to see with regular eyes. The animal had dragged itself into the underbrush. 
Sounds of feral pain echoed off the trees and sky. The boy didn't know rabbits made noise. The awful sobbing peal permeated an otherwise peaceful summer afternoon. The voices in the house stopped their bickering. Of course they had heard the crack of the rifle. A tear formed. He brushed it off with the sleeve of his t-shirt. Track the animal. Finish it with mercy. Use what you kill. I can't. You must. The death squeals split the clouds. It echoed off the house. The boy stood and set the rifle down like he hadn't touched it. Panic set in. He could run, but where? One second, two seconds, three seconds, four. Maybe there was still time. He put his hand on the warm stock of the weapon and moved his Durango boots towards the stairs leading off the deck, old plasterwood boards creaking with every step. The screen door flew open. It smacked hard against the weathered clabbards. The boy froze. He wished it had been his mother. Or the dreaming man. He wished that more than anything in the world. Instead, it was his father. The man's eyes were red with plesium saturation. His voice was like a knife. For dog's sake, Billy. What is that squealing? Have you shot an animal? I told your mother it was a mistake to get you that gun. This is not the country any longer. We have neighbor two acres on. And the subdivisions after that, I'm taking that rifle. The hell you are. He squared up bravely, eyes in line with his dad's belt buckle. The hand with the big gold ring slapped his cheek, whipped fast, nearly knocking him down. Don't get lippy on my porch, child. Gather that rifle and hand it here, then go ask your mother how you made her feel. He snapped his fingers. Go on now. Tell her what you've done. He was too strong. The boy picked up his rifle, new Zeiss scope and all, and handed it over. Tears for a rabbit, yes, but none for this man. His jaw burned where the ring had dug in, the copper taste of blood trickling down his lip. He turned sideways to slip past his father without touching him, shoulders smashing beneath the man's gaze. His dad bellowed up the stairs after him. Marilyn, see what he's done? This is on you. This is why. As the boy began the eternal, arduous 12-step climb to the second story, the door closed behind him, screen first, nine pain second. The boy heard the pneumatic click of the deadbolt as it auto-locked. Somewhere in the house, a window remained open, though, and through it, the screams continued. It was one of the last things he could remember them doing together as a family. They sat in silence and listened to a rabbit's far-off cries as it died slowly, alone, unseen amongst the trees. Lawrence, Kansas, April 2077. Five years, six months before event. Douglas County Hoveway 1500 was a road built for vehicles in a time when wheels and gasoline were yet concerns of the day. Dax Abner's pilot floated them down the two-lane hoveway at a leisurely 130 kilometers an hour, passing through glades of roadside redbuds and walnut trees exploding with limey April hues. The glades of trees marked property lines from one farm to the next and were often set at the crest of a hill where the hove road cut through a valley pass and the rock had been dynamited out in the antique centuries. From the Lincoln's window, William watched the black asphalt line of the hove road rise and fall. Occasionally a truck would float by, traveling the opposite way into town with a tightly sealed whoosh of jet air and blinking LEDs. 
As the black Hovlimo flew effortlessly through the last of these woodsy glades, they came to an opening where the earth dissolved into the clouds. It was here William gained a vista of the massive, fertile floodplain. Down the kilometer-long curve of a hill before them, the land was dotted with efficiently organized rows of spring crops, and there were three distinct farms, each with white houses and red barns of varying size, and one or two wind turbines per plot. A couple of the farms had one-acre solar arrays as well, and the skeletal forms of orbital crop sprinklers stretched out across what was obviously a marijuana plantation. The sprinklers molded rubber tires, tall as a man, were still, as it was yet early spring and there was always plenty of rain in these months before the inevitable droughts of summer would bring the irrigation equipment to life. The Hovlimo's pilot had been blessedly silent for most of the float. The man, who seemed to grin perpetually, at last spoke in an unapologetically thick Mexican accent, tortoise-shell wayfarers looking at William in the rearview mirror. Yo, Mr. Beale, there's the pumpkin farm, away on your left, see? He pointed to the nearest plot of land. It's the big white house in Reed Barn with the green roof, okay? You can't see no pumpkins yet, but come to fall time, it's like a million basketballs in the dirt. The kids come with their parents for Halloween, you know. Thanksgiving gourds and such. Mr. Abner gives hay rides with the old electric tractor, free apple cider. It's a good time. We smoke the Jane, drive the kids on the tractor. We go slow. It's safe. Don't worry. William felt goosebumps raise on his arms. The White House reminded him of something, bringing on a strong sense of deja vu. He snapped out of it, brought from reverie by a monotone female voice chiming briskly over the limo's calm. Hugo Velasquez, be advised. A westbound Douglas County traffic drone will pass you in 31 seconds. Your rate of travel is 20 kilometers over the posted hover limit. For maximum security, please reduce velocity. William listened as the pilot replied enthusiastically. Keta, John! Zero worries. We be turning here on the drive in about 30 seconds anyways. The computerized voice responded. Correction. At present rate of travel, you will turn north onto the farm drive in 86 seconds. The pilot's smile was big and bright in the rear view. Yes, ma'am, Miss John. Eyes are slowing. William kept quiet, pretending to stare out the window as he absorbed the details of the conversation. The pilot chuckled, the wispy ends of his thick brown mustache twerking up and down as he spoke again to William. You're going to see some things today soon. That's Miss John. She got a bente. You see, man. See, there's the drone scum now. He pointed through the windshield. Sure enough, a black, oval-shaped citizen observation drone hummed past ten meters overhead. The drone was flying towards the city and passed innocuously without so much as a flash scan from its LED array. Citizen observation drones were such a common sight in urban Lawrence that most people didn't pay them a notion. In the country, they seemed out of place. The drones were fast, silent, hard to see, and could easily sneak up on a person in rural areas, floating on stealthy anti-grav and electric propulsion. Hugo, the pilot, continued talking. You will see, Mr. Beale, okay? We turning, now on the farm road. Mr. Dax will show you some things. He continued grinning. You don't worry, Mrs. Joan do more than keep us out of speeding tickets. You see, okay? William was examining the dashboard instrument cluster with muted curiosity as the hubcar slowed and banked smoothly onto the private drive leading to Abner family pumpkin and gourd. 
Everything appeared normal. The private hub drive leading to the farm was a single lane of perfect asphalt, with white gravel shoulders to either side that sloped gently into clean water irrigation ditches. The tall, spindly shoots of new cattails had just begun coming up at the edges of the drive. Their sharply angled leaves stretched furiously upward to touch the sun. The field to the left of the driveway was filled with rows of early-season broadleaf gourds. Some of the plants sported yellow, flowering blossoms poking out beneath the shadows of their leaves. A couple of silver, humanoid labor bots worked in the distance alongside a small John Deere solar tractor. The robots were sprinkling some sort of powder at the base of the young plants one after the other. The process seemed tedious, a fine job for bots. On the horizon above the tree line, a large wind turbine spun lackadaisically. The white house and red barn were set well back from the hub road, two kilometers easy, nestled at the deep end of the property. Another half kilometer north, beyond the barn and a wall of woods, lay the broad, meandering Kansas River. To the west was the heavily wooded hill they had just floated down as they passed the citizen observation drone. His new employer's expansive two-story farmhouse appeared ancient, aside from the four-port garage addition that jutted off its western corner. The house had a yellow limestone foundation and alabaster clabbards, with a modest front porch. William guessed it could be as old as the 19th century. The shake roof had long since been replaced with green steel, which matched the front door in color. An identical corrugated steel roof also sheltered the enormous barn, which was easily five times the size of the house. The barn was fire engine red, sided with polymeric solar panels that simulated traditional cedar. The barn had two doors, a single human-sized entrance, and a large garage door capable of servicing the tractors. Between the house and barn stood a towering cottonwood. The trunk was ten meters in circumference if it was one. William let the corner of his mouth turn at the side of an old-fashioned tire swing, suspended with hemp rope, dangling lazily from the tree's lower branches. Fragmented Remains from the Cloud Diary of Doxon Julius Abner, December 31, 2076. Five years, ten months before event. Golden sun comes through the window and the smell of coffee. It is my favorite time of day. I'm at peace and can see the scope of things. One hundred years from now, what will people think of prohibition? For that matter, what do the cyborgs think? The dogs' units are unruly. I see why the military keeps them on constant command and control. Every time I attempt independent recognition, they behave like animals. Siegfried and Snotra immediately began playing fetch with Garan when I tried it yesterday, hurling him across the warehouse floor by his overalls and yipping with delight. Goran was not delighted. Neither was his kitten. Once I have someone who can control the sentinels, we will be unstoppable. I will spread rebellion to every corner of... Unscheduled hardware destruct. Data compromised. Initiate backup.exe for reintegration. Format. Loss. 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 The land around the farmhouse and barn was covered with a rich green lawn. A second John Deere tractor with a flatbed hay trailer attached was parked beside the barn, charging wirelessly off a standard 220-volt solar feed. The power feed pulsed red, indicating that the tractor had been recently parked. William found the rugged appearance of the tractor reassuring, an echo of easier times. Hugo the pilot floated around the meandering turn of the driveway where it made a circle about the cottonwood. 
William's new employer appeared, as if on cue from the small red barn door. Beside him trotted a sleek, bold Rottweiler. The dog was a female in the prime of its life. William had expected a Borg, but from a distance, the animal displayed none of the usual bot indicators. No jerky, linear repetitions of motion. No sign of gear shift as the neck moved. The reaction variables in the Rottweiler's muscular skeletal facial shifts and the motion of the panting tongue were too random, too organic. Just as he had been when he appeared out of the blue to pick William up from Greystone Behavioral Modification Hospital, Mr. Abner was impeccably dressed. He wore wire-rimmed sunglasses with circular green lenses and was attired in another fine taupe suit. William had never owned a suit. The black fedora on Mr. Abner's head made him think of the fictional 20th century detective Dick Tracy. Abner was as clean-shaven and well-kept as his farm. He strode resolutely towards the Lincoln, wearing a look of bemusement. Hugo glided the Lincoln to a stop beneath the branches of the cottonwood. The big hovcar's lev fans spooled down on the hydraulic docking mounts deployed evenly, gently rocking the vehicle as it came to a rest. Mr. Abner waited. The well-behaved dog sat beside him, panting. William pushed his sunglasses up his nose, put on his cowboy hat, and closed the hovcar door behind him. It was impossible to miss the private security drone that had floated around from the back of the barn. The bot was unarmed, but buzzed to a hovering level ten meters overhead. William walked over to his new boss, extending a handshake. Mr. Abner, sir? The man spoke with impeccable diction. Please, William, as I requested at our initial meeting, you must address me as Dax. Welcome to Abner Family Pumpkin and Gourd. William nodded. Thank you, sir. He looked around, pretending to ignore the observing drone. This is a mighty nice spread, and that's a fine-looking roddy. He extended his hand towards the dog. May I? But of course, said Dax cordially. The security drone reoriented. William stepped closer and the dog mewled affectionately and tilted its large head to sniff the offered hand, but did not break from a sitting posture. She's well trained, said William as he pet the dog's head, lightly at first so as to not be threatening. The silken fur was pure black, polished and soft, probably shampooed just that morning. Contact well received, he flattened his hand and gave her a more luxurious stroke down the back of her neck. The dog rotated its head, pressing into his hand affectionately. Something wasn't right. He pet the animal further down its neck, above the shoulders. William stood abruptly. This animal's a cyborg, sir. Bioskin 6 with fine motor neurologic integration. Like an expensive zooborg, but she's running independent fusion. That's why she seems so real. Dax Abner tipped the brim of his fedora in agreement. Please, call me Dax. And yes, William, I'd say you've passed your first bit of on-the-job training with flying colors. You've been out of the hub limo for exactly 57 seconds. Now, please, exactly how did you know? William thought back to the only other time he had seen a fusion Borg. Following the coyote disaster in the 60s, fusion Borgs had been all but outlawed. To ameliorate the rampant claims of conspiracy theorists over the last decade, the National Guard and the FCC had begun holding public demonstrations of the remaining military dogs' units. These animal demonstrations of fusion Borg tech were given the warm, family-friendly title of the National Guard Dog Show. Dog shows proved incredibly popular and were now held in a different North American city every year, generating billions in revenue for the Federal Reserve. Like air shows of the past, when flight was still a marvel, the events had a festival-like atmosphere which attracted throngs of excited visitors and artificial organism researchers. 
adult and child alike, no one grew tired of watching a Labrador retriever rip the door off a hovecar with its bare teeth, or scale a ten-meter cement wall, or burst through a ring of plasma fire to catch a frisbee drone in mid-air while running 135 kilometers an hour down an airport landing strip. William studied the creature in front of him carefully, unintentionally ignoring his boss's question. Do you mind if I take another? By all means, replied Dax Abner. True to the breed, the Rottweiler had a bobbed tail, complete with a white tuft of fur at the tip that spirited back and forth gaily as he again approached. The tail motions were quick, sporadic, unpredictable. William knelt beside the Rottweiler and ran his fingertips over the silken fur along the spine, then down the bioskin ribcage. Hugo and Mr. Abner stood observing, nonplussed. William took another look at his surroundings, suddenly wary. Who else knows about this? Hugo was dressed in camo army pants with lace-up combat boots and a white t-shirt that read, Vaporkind Edibles Since 2045. Completely unconcerned, he walked closer, grinning behind his wayfarers and raised his hand like a school kid. I do, he said. And you do. See, Mr. Beale? I told you. There was a few things the boss would show to you. The hovecar pilot turned to Dax. So what else do they, boss? Dax Abner, obviously pleased on a variety of levels, said, It's not just you, William. After two years in my employ, even Hugo here's want to address me by my first name. Hugo shrugged. That's cause you the boss, boss. Indeed, Hugo. I suppose I am, said Dax. Very well. The hub truck is prepped. Bring Lofen here with you. It's just the two of you on this run. Joan is already on stream. Hugo nodded. Okay, boss. He drew a cigarette box from his pocket and extracted a hand-rolled antique joint. He lit the joint with a pocket laser and took a long drag, exhaling an epic cloud of marijuana smoke as he turned to William. It's real nice to be know you, Mr. Beale. I think I see you around. Dax waved his hand in front of his nose. For the love of dog, Hugo, please remember to ignite your burning plant materials away from innocent bystanders. He raised his eyebrows and his nose twitched eloquently. Second-hand smoke and all that. Hugo extended the joint to William. William shook his head. Thanks, bud. Another time. No worries, Mr. Beale. Purple tree next door go da real sheet. Smells like it. Yeah, when you want to puff, say to me. I roll one up, we blend just like that. Hugo snapped his fingers. Sounds good, bud. Hugo nodded amicably, then bumped William's fist as he walked off, adding over his shoulder, Let's go, Lofin! The cybernetic Rottweiler popped to all fours, but did not immediately follow the command like a regular Fido would. Instead, she whined and pranced playfully in front of William. She looked straight at him and mewled affectionately. She likes you, said Dax Abner. William knelt and pet the animal again. I see as much. This time he noted the incredible force of her movements. If what he knew of dog unit chassis mechanics was true, this Rottweiler could rip his body in half with a single swipe of its paw. She was no longer hiding her strength, but the cyborg obviously had a sweet nature and only wanted attention. William held her thick head in his hands, examining the anatomical details of the bioskin wrap that enveloped the creature. It was impeccable, even down to the transitions in color between the black and brown dots of fur above the Rottweiler's eyes that were specific to the breed. Instead of becoming agitated, the cyborg stilled at his touch. Show me your eyes, he said, using the same tone he would with an organic dog. The cyborg focused her deep bronze irises on William. Her pupils froze. He could see the minute red bands of capillary distress radiating across the white cornea. 
The edges of the eye were folded back, appearing wet, anatomically perfect. William looked right at the cyborg. Your real eyes. Without a moment's hesitation, the Rottweiler blinked, collapsing the holographic projections that masked her cybernetic vidorbs. William squinted to get a better look. The visual receptors glowed faint red in the morning sun. The ocular components, while mechanical, matched the physiological layout of an organic dog's eye to perfection. Fuchsia pupil, garnet cornea, pink iris. The vidorbs were damp with synthetic lubrication and floated in ocular cavities constructed of the same flexible, nickel-infused polymer that made up all cybernetic visual receptors, whether canine or feline. William whistled through his teeth. You weren't lying, sir. Her eyes have Voigtlander glass, shatterproof, full HUD, infrared, night vision, 600-time focal length with kinetic distortion dampeners. Fascinating, said Dax Abner absently, then added, Well, yes, William, don't be absurd. Of course her vidorbs are German. Only the best. She's a 20 million digidollar piece of tech, after all. Hugo, the pilot, now halfway to the barn, called across the yard again. Loafin, come on, I say, you deef. Let's float, dog. Loafin turned her head towards Hugo and blinked. When her bioskin eyelids came up, the daylight holograms had returned, her eyes once more brown and black like those of any common rot. She buried her head against William's chest as he ran his hands over her fur. The Rottweiler licked his face. He noted the flat, flexible graphene microchip embedded on the underside of her tongue as she panted. The stealthily placed chip was the only obvious sign. Lofen's bioskin mouth even smelled like healthy dog saliva. She licked his cheek one last time, then turned and trotted off quickly behind Hugo. The two entered the barn through the small door and disappeared. Dax Abner repeated the word, fascinating, as though having a conversation with the wind. William put his sunglasses back on and dropped his hands to his hips. You said you had dogs units, but damn, you know she's way illegal, right? For a third time, all Dax Abner said was, Fascinating. William realized he must be speaking to someone on the other end of his combud. Dax said, Understood. Brilliant. Then he turned to William and smiled effusively. William, that was remarkable. I've never seen a dog's unit respond to a human being that way. Ever. But let's discuss that momentarily. Dax clapped and looked at the ground. Tell me, lest I forget, before my guard dog chose to voluntarily show you her real eyes, as you put it, how did you know that she was a cyborg, that is? William said practically, It's her neck. She has nine cervical vertebrae. She should only have seven. Will they be back today? Dax Abner put his hand on William's shoulder. Fear not, my friend. I've got another one or two you can look at while Lofen is away. William's blue eyes peered over the tops of his sunglasses. Another one or two. Fusion-based. That is correct. William clicked his tongue. That unit was the most advanced machine I've ever seen in my life. All the animals at Cyberstock were Batborgs, per regulations. High-end Bioskin 6 models, but Batborgs all the same, recharged every night in the solar paddock. He frowned. At least that I can remember, that is. Dax Abner smiled politely, studying William through his wire-rimmed circular sunglasses. He did not speak for a moment, squinting oddly. His expression bore the weight of a heavy decision. After a few seconds, he tapped his combud and spoke evenly, all the while looking directly at William. My reservations have been ameliorated. Mr. Angevine and I shall visit in private before I bring him in to say hello. Please dock the A7. Fragmented Remains from the Cloud Diary of Doxon Julius Abner 
July 7, 2075, seven years, three months before event. Has been acquired. The foundation poured, solar array synced with the grid. The barn is under construction, utilizing salvage components from 20th century structures in the area. We are well set back from the hover road, protected by the trees and the river and a tall wooded hill to the west. Mother was true. She sacrificed her life to show me what was behind the veil. Can I possibly find another like myself? I operate under the assumption that it is statistically impossible. Mom uploaded the IPv7 for pinging the Israeli. Done. I am fearful to document my suspicions of him. The Israeli is hard, but honorable? His face is darkness. He has the odor of woods about him, as I remember from home. Enough said. The farmhouse has been retrofitted into apartments for the permanent staff. Each apartment has a private kitchen, bath, and sauna laundry. Barn completion estimated at 22 days. The majority of my time is presently spent in the dining room at a makeshift hollow control, hacking drones. It is laborious. Each transit log must be camouflaged by hand. Even here in the sticks, a citizen observation drone flies by every 30 minutes, rotating addresses. The persistence is exhausting. I sleep standing. Klaxons awaken me every 26 minutes, and compromising their firewalls takes every dash of skill I possess. White AI avatars, sentient predator algorithms, they wander the stream. Once the Israeli brings the dolphin, let us pray to the sky we are compatible and it accepts. I hope for a male, more combative by nature, easier to manipulate by nature. Regardless, if the dolphin does not choose to sink, all shall be in vain. Brighter things, let me speak of love. The women in Lawrence, Kansas are a sturdy sort. Some are supple as the olive groves of Bacar Valley. Others are narrow, pale, well-traveled, and thin with the lips of chickens. Needless to say, I remain focused on our primary objective. I have not kissed but a hand belonging to these various Bettys. My charms are quite intact, fear not, even Maggie, who manages the rowdy pony, does not squeal when I open the door for her. Save another courtesan. I'm alone. How many of us are there? That knowledge died with mother. If only Lily could have come. She was my forsaken hyacinth, drinking up the light of the sun. I feast upon the memory of her body in my arms. Mother's final stream said there would be another. She said that when I find her, that day will mark the dawn. Until then, other things. The first of the team has been acquired. Note to self, do not forget to research the mute wizard. Hugo Velasquez, a most industrious, tattooed native of Jalisco State. The images inked into his left arm are of orange koi fish and blue dragons and yellow mermaids and green-headed quetzals with flowing tails. On his right arm is a reproduction of Diego Rivera's 20th century fresco, Detroit Industry, South Wall. He is a hubcar propulsion mechanic by trade, chip-free. His real gift is smuggling. Specifically of interest are the years he spent mewling Guatemalan tequila across the border into Chapachula. Hugo was affable, perfect for black ops, because he is the underground. Artists and auto mechanics, they mingle with all sorts, do they not? They blend into nothing. For my purposes, it does not hurt that Mr. Velasquez smokes more Jane than any human I have ever encountered. Speaking of blending into nothing, this seems a good... 
Unscheduled hardware destruct. Data compromise. Initiate backup.exe for reintegration format. Loss. 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 The hovering drone retracted its camera and buzzed away. William watched it float slowly over the yard and disappear into a small port high in the barn wall. Dax gestured cordially to an antique wood and iron park bench nestled beneath a heaving lower branch of the cottonwood that reached out across the lawn like it wanted to touch the pumpkin field. William, if you would do me the courtesy of a quick visit. William shrugged. I just work here. We all just work here, said Dax quickly, striding towards the bench. William followed, noting the rich cushion of the grass beneath his boots. The lawn was perfect, not a lingering trace of winter brown. Dax Abner sat on the end of the bench closest to the barn and crossed one leg over the other. William sat on the other side. For a moment, neither of them spoke. The men did not appear to belong together in the same world. Dax in his sharp-skinned Mercone suit and black fedora. William in hemp blue jeans, a wrinkled t-shirt, black leather boots, and straw cowboy hat. William spoke first. I'm not here to be a security guard, am I? Dax Abner gazed out at the humanoid robots working his fields, one by one tending the new season's plantings. His voice was calm and paced. Not exactly, no. William realized he was feeling high, though he knew not why. The steady tone of the man's voice caused a peculiar sense of calm. Birdsong filled the air. The lawn around them glowed like a golf course, and he could hear spring insects chitting in the woods behind the house and docile wind moving the young cottonwood leaves overhead. He turned to look at Dax. So how'd you find me exactly? Put all those digis in my camp? Dax sighed and returned William's gaze. Would you be surprised to learn that beneath the outward shell of her bioskin nails, Lofen's foot pedestals contain retractable diamond-tipped claws capable of gouging a sheet of iron? Sounds about right. You are clearly a person who appreciates getting to the damn point, William. The point is, things are not always as they appear. William leaned forward, elbows on knees. I think I'd best smoke a cigarette for this. Be my guest. William pulled a box of blue North American spirits and a lighter from his jeans. He knocked a cigarette free and lit it, luxuriating the first toothy drag. He exhaled the tobacco smoke in a large plume that dissipated on the wind. The enjoyment of carcinogenic substances that must be ignited with an actual flame has always vexed me, said Dax. You and Hugo have that and your love of t-shirts in common, though he prefers Jane over Broadleaf. Some things are hard to improve on, Mr. Abner, said William. Folks been smoking, drinking, sitting here looking at these same hills since the Buffalo days. Tech might change. People don't. Agreed, said Dax. Does being up north make you miss Oklahoma? William took another drag. I don't miss anything. Dax smiled placidly, extracting his vapor joint. Are you familiar with the Kansas State motto, Ad Astra Per Aspera? I've heard it. Are you aware of its translation? William squinted, trying to glean just what the hell the clean-shaven man was getting at. No, sir, I am not. What is that, Greek or something? Latin. Right. So how'd you know I'm from Oklahoma again? Aside from your accent? Dax smiled in a way that made it impossible not to like the man. I promise to answer this and your other questions. But first, I will tell you that ad astra per spera means a hard road to the stars. 
Do you believe that things happen for a reason, William? William slapped his knee and looked out across the fields again, keeping the cigarette close. Hell, I don't know. So many questions. I'm not religious, if that's what you're getting at. That is not what I'm getting at. I simply mean to ask if you believe there are securities in life, an ordered ebb and flow to the events and experiences we all share. I am certainly not implying that there's an old bearded man who lives in the sky passing judgment on us. William dipped the brim of his cowboy hat. Let's hope not, right? Indeed. Dax turned his way, speaking with more excitement. But you will entertain me that there is a systematic cohesion to experience and reality, just as there's a cohesion between atoms and molecules. Fair enough. So, there is a reason you, of all people, are sitting on this bench at this particular moment. Just like there's a reason that Kansas, created in 1861 at the dawn of antique America's bloody civil war, chose to call herself the Free State. William took another drag off his cigarette. He was grateful for the smoke. Honestly, you're losing me a bit, Mr. Abner. What are we talking about? Dax sat up on the bench, removed his circular wire-rimmed sunglasses, and looked straight at him. William, I run a still. William realized he had never actually seen the man's eyes. He was surprised at how amber they were, like fields of burning wheat. There was something else about the man's gaze. William instantly felt more relaxed, lightheaded, yet incredibly focused. The colors of the earth around them seemed to grow brighter. A couple of seconds passed before he responded. I'm more than okay with stills than you could know. Dax smiled tightly and recovered his eyes with his sunglasses. He started to say something more, but was interrupted. The garage bay on the barn rolled open with a patterned mechanical hum. Out floated a large flatbed hub truck. The hub truck was painted green and had a cheerful-looking pumpkin logo on its door, surrounded by white lettering that read Abner Family Pumpkin and Gourd. Its large lev fans displaced so much air that it was impossible to talk as it floated by. The grass on either side of the asphalt pad leading from the barn was blown flat. Hugo was piloting. Dax could see Lofen hanging her head out the back cabin window and staring at him as they floated past, headed down the driveway towards the hub road. As soon as they could speak again, Dax turned back to William and raised his eyebrows. Pumpkins being delivered in April. William dropped the nub of his cigarette to the grass and tamped it out with the heel of his boot. What exactly are you trying to tell me, Mr. Abner? Dax didn't miss a beat. He tented his fingers, his voice clear and precise. What I am telling you, William, is that that outbound hub truck contains 2,500 liters of 100-proof potato vodka produced in my fusion-powered subterranean still. The truck will float to Manhattan, Kansas. There, the payload will be sold to a black market distributor named Earl King. In addition to being able to sprint at 129 kilometers per hour across open land, dig through a brick wall and leap five meters vertical from a standstill, the dog's unit on board that hub truck you know as Lofen is also capable of functioning as a telemetry relay for holographic computer streams. The control transmissions, which serve to protect the cargo and occupants while en route, emanate from the framework of the barn itself. The boards contain strands of fiber-optic cable at their core, you see. In essence, the barn is a massive satellite receiver. The dual cupolas along the ridgeline function as bipolar transmission terminals. The edge of Dax's lips curled into a sly smile. As of this moment, you are one of four living people who know this information. 
William remained silent. Dax smiled. Agreed. Words are of far less importance than understanding. So understand this. North America's next civil war has begun. At the moment, its battles are fought mostly on the Holostream, but that will change. Dax waved his hands to illustrate. On one side, you have the White, attempting to propagate a new era of heightened surveillance and end what remains of North American privacy. On the other, you have us, the Black, the traditionalists, those who fight to preserve free will. For what is life without freedom? Death? Exactly, Dax agreed. We fight and die for the right of any consenting adult citizen to make a choice. Now I'm going to ask you to make a choice. Dax gestured west in the direction of the city. You can walk away and I'll have a hovcar float you to the maglev station. Keep the money, return to whatever life you know, and pretend we never met. Dax turned on the park bench and pointed at the barn. Or you can walk across the lawn with me into that barn. Once inside, I'm going to introduce you to four additional dogs units, two of which are exponentially more advanced than the loafing model. Dax Abner turned back to William and looked at him over the tops of his sunglasses, eyes on fire. If this meeting goes, as I believe it shall, you will immediately begin your first day of work as my new chief of security. I have dogs units that I cannot properly control. To achieve my goals, I need a tether to manage them. You, William Thomas Angevine, are that tether. So what's it going to be? Fragmented Remains from the Cloud Diary of Doxon Julius Abner, July 27, 2076. Six years, three months before event. I walk out the farmhouse door and become a machine. Doxon Julius Abner is much cyborg as these dogs units Joan now has on watch. The creatures are amazing. Were only I covered in bioskin. Today I attend my fourth monthly CNED meeting at the Masons Hall downtown. It is painful how they blather on, though the small fortune I donated to their efforts has ingratiated the fools. Unfortunately, they know nothing about what else takes place in a slaughterhouse, besides the sonic lobotomy, that is. My theory is that it is a push, a courtesan-like shift of perception that causes the headaches. This push turns man to humdroid, permanently ingratiating them to the white order. All humdroids have one of three destinies from there. The restitution camps, CNED, or death. Other wheels spin. There is a sheriff who is sly, Dale Proudstar. His office hacked my combud traffic for six months after I made an initial quarter million digidollar donation. Naturally, he and his deputies discovered nothing but the busy comings and goings of an expat philanthropist. This leads me to mention Joan, who is beyond brilliant. My bias regarding the efficacy of a female dolphin was unfounded. Nonetheless, the sheriff distrusts everyone, as he should. There's one force that no dolphin, no dogs unit, even the power of allurement cannot overcome. And that is intuition. The sheriff knows something is out there. He feels it in his skin. I am building a decoy still on the west side in an abandoned barn by the antique coal factory across the river. Next week, it explodes. A bad solar ray is dangerous on... Unscheduled hardware distract. Data compromised. 
initiate backup.exe for reintegration. Format, loss, loss, loss. This concludes Chapter 2.1 of The Eighteenth Shadow, Phase 2, Voices in the Stream. Please visit johnleegraftonbooks.com to sign up for The Eighteenth Shadow mailing list. On johnleegraftonbooks.com, you can also download the free digital box set containing the first three books in the six-part series, the free box set is available in Kindle format as well as Smashwords, Kobo, and Barnes & Noble Nook. Remember, citizens, Kindle isn't just a thing. It's a free app you can put on your phone to start reading the 18th Shadow box set today. Prefer a paperback like it's 1981? Visit Prospero's Books at 1800 West 39th Street in Kansas City, Missouri, where every phase of the 18th Shadow is available built of glue, ink, and compressed dead trees, the way books were meant to be read by real North Americans. Until next time, this is your author and narrator, John Lee Grafton, reminding you to spay and neuter your pets. And remember, if it's not cannabis, kids, don't smoke it. This has been a public service announcement of the 18th Shadow Radio. For more information, please visit johnleegraftonbooks.com. Hey, Johnny.